Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. This is a podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. Today's starting topic is Mainichi Isho. John, why don't you start us off? Well, the reason that sounds a little bit odd as a title for something is that it is a Japanese title for a video game, which translates to Every Day Together in English. It's a 2006 Sony computer entertainment game for the PlayStation 3, centered around the Toro franchise. I'm not familiar with the Toro franchise. I'm not either. So, <laughs> aside, this game seems to be pretty much just mini games, casual gaming oh, anyway. Okay. Uh, we could easily, quickly dive into the Toro <laughs> franchise to find out what exactly this game is about. Because I think we're, we're going to be familiar with the video mm. games that are on here. It's going to be, you know, your typical... Yeah. Um, typical sort of Mario Party type game. Yeah, that's what I but, assumed it seemed like... Um, yeah, let's just jump right into Toro. Because that's what the what makes the game unique here. Right. Alright. So yeah. Toro oh. is also known as the Sony Cat. Mm-hmm. Is a fictional character created by Sony Computer Entertainment. So he is precisely the uh, sort of a Sony original. Yeah. Mascot character almost. In Japan. Yeah, they've gone through a couple mascots. Can't seem to really... Find can't make one, one. stick. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, Nintendo lucked out with Mario. They did. And then Sega has Sonic, which... If you want to call that luck, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you've seen what's happened to Sega. Let's be realistic. Yeah. Uh, and you've seen what's happened to Sonic, too. Let's <laughs> not forget. Um, yeah. But, no, you're, you're, you're right. Every place, everybody else had uh, relatively decent mascot. Like, from early on, though. Yeah, you know, Microsoft and... has had, I would say, Master Chief's probably yeah, that's their for sure. success story. And, uh, I mean, Sony used to have Crash Bandicoot. That was, like, their first mascot-type right. person. Right, and they had uh, Spyro, too, I think. Yeah, Spyro, sort of, kind but of. But as the game's wing, Crash sort of took right. over because he still had a little more success on yeah. PlayStation 2. And but yeah, other I mean after that, then it was just kind of like Crash Bandicoot games ended, and then they didn't really know what else to do. No, no, they had no clue. <laughs> They've never really had like since then they haven't really had anything that stuck. And I mean, I mean they've had good games, right? But nothing but that had like a iconic mascot type. The thing of it is that. Uh, I mean, they think they were almost on the right track this time. Look, mm. there's they're small. <laughs> animated cats. Yeah. Like, they looked at the internet, and then they looked at their mascot, and they said, Crash Bandicoot's almost a cat. We just need to make <laughs> it more of a cat. And then, this is the, I think this is kind of the end result of that. Yeah, it's not a bad way to go. Yeah. For sure. But, uh, alright. Well, what about, what is act, what's actually a, the story behind this mascot here? Basically, it seems like he's an anthropomorphic cat. Uh, 
and he has a couple of different uh, friends mm-hmm. and characters. Toro himself is a white cat, and then he has a rival cat that is a black cat called Kuro. Mm. And uh, but they're also friends. There's it literally looks as though <laughs> every sort of iteration of character is a friend. There is no enemy mm. in the world of this mascot. Well, it's, I mean, I guess they're trying to appeal to kids. Maybe that's something good to do. Well, yeah, it's but, certainly helpful to just sort of kind of mitigate the factor <laughs> of conflict. It makes everything a little less uh, intimidating. Yeah. Now this is interesting here. Um, under the character section, mm-hmm. his birthday, May 6th, he has some mm. favorite foods, which are all Japanese things One's that I've not, not heard of. <laughs> yeah. And then his dislikes to be put in a box made from corrugated fiberboard, which kind of goes against the natural instincts of a cat, you would think. Cats always go into boxes. It doesn't yeah, matter like what the you, boxes are you made You put of. a box down yeah. of any size, the right. cat is immediately trying to get inside the box entirely. Well, maybe there's something special about corrugated fiberboard that mm-hmm. cats are particularly adverse to, or maybe that's what they make the boxes that uh, people take cats to the vet in, uh, in Japan. Maybe, maybe it's like sort of that material now, is kind of throwing alarms off in his head. Corrugated fiberboard, that's not cardboard, I, I assume. Otherwise, they so? would probably have said cardboard. I don't think so, but we actually... I actually don't know. Um, should we investigate this further, or...? I mean, yeah, I'd be I'd be okay with jumping into corrugated fiberboard. Okay. I mean... Um, okay, it is well, exactly cardboard. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure why they went with the term corrugated fiberboard. Uh, however, it's... Uh, it looks like that's the official name, though. Yeah. Because it says here it's sometimes called cardboard. Sometimes. All of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I've never called it once in my life corrugated fiberboard. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I, yeah, I've never said that. I've, I always say cardboard. Yeah. I don't know what... I wouldn't have known what else to call it. Well, leave it to uh, the English to do this. Uh, it was <laughs> patented by them in 1856, hmm. and it was used as a liner for tall hats. That was legitimately that, why <laughs> cardboard, as we know it today, was created, was to make hats look ridiculous and pompous and silly. <laughs> and uh, now we use it for transportation, and it's absolutely <laughs> everywhere. That's kind of funny. Yeah, that's that's pretty early. I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised about 1856 yeah i mean that's but the british were super serious about their hats man they (laughs) They needed to get those things tall and Mm -hmm. you know frilly well not frilly that's not the right word Hmm. Mm -hmm. more just like structured they really wanted to have very yeah they didn't want them to be flat and like flopping he wants a floppy he wants a floppy hat we're talking about like victorian england I mean, outside of Sherlock, if you're not Sherlock Holmes, don't do that. That's not your thing. Yeah. You want to be like Artful Dodger. You want to be like <laughs> Dickensian almost. But this is, that's actually a very interesting uh, origin story for cardboard that I would not have known had I not come to this article, <laughs> which I would not yeah. have come to because I would have typed in cardboard, and <laughs> that's not what yeah. uh, Wikipedia would give to me. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing about cardboard is that for 15 years, it wasn't used as a packing or shipping material at all. Hmm. It wasn't until 1871 that a guy in New York City started to use it for packing purposes. 
a guy by the name of Albert Jones. Uh, he used it for wrapping glass bottles uh, and glass lantern chimneys. So it kind of was an improvement upon, I suppose, tissue paper or other packing mediums of the time. Right. But still, this wasn't an actual box. You're not seeing the box invention come about until 1890, when the invention process goes back to Scotland, where somebody pieces together about five pieces of the uh, cardboard and makes it into a box. And that's when it becomes used for shipping. I wonder what they used for shipping before. I mean, I guess they just made it out of wood. Yeah, barrels, <laughs> Wooden boxes, crates. barrels, yeah. And I guess they definitely got a lot more efficient and cost-effective, that's for sure. I would suppose barrels are not... They cost a pretty penny. I looked <laughs> into getting one once for the purposes of potentially doing, like, home-brewed whiskey, and uh, a barrel is about... A good one of legitimate wood runs mm-hmm. upwards of $200 easily. Oh. And that's like a small, like you would make a real small batch bourbon with that. That would not be <laughs> um, would not be a very large quantity. You may not be very happy. Yeah, I gotta say I would not want to get something shipped from Amazon in a wooden barrel. Are you kidding? I would I love would... that. As long as you gotta keep the barrel. Well, then... yeah, but I mean you, get, you buy like $20 whatever and then right. shipping is $250 because that's true that's true the shipping costs would be a little bit more <laughs> they would be a little bit higher yeah. um, so they go on in this article to talk about the manufacturing process of corrugated cardboard which man does that sound dry uh, <laughs> and it is a very dry looking process yeah going through this really mm-hmm. quickly it's not a dry process, literally, though. Lots of steam applications mm. are used to well, make the. Yeah. To get everything down to a mushy, sort of shapeable right. uh, consistency before they start to harden it back up. Hmm. Oh, hey. There are different gauges of cardboard thickness, though. Look at that. They're mm. called flutes. Mm-hmm. And with the exception of G, there is a flute for every note that there would be on a musical scale. Interesting. A through F. And an A flute is 4.8 millimeters thick. That's just one thick wall, unbroken <laughs> cardboard. Uh, half yeah, a that's a big boy right there. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen an A flute. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Because um, I know some... I've seen some very rigid cardboard before. We have, we have. Well, we have some boxes here in the room. Mm-hmm. We can pick up. We can look at. Well, here, here's something strange. Um, okay, so you would you would think that A flute, B flute, C flute, all the way down, mm-hmm. would descend in thickness. Right. But you see here, B flute, three point two millimeters, C flute, four millimeters. Wait. So what we're saying is, is it doesn't have an order. It's just sort of... I guess not. Because A flute's the thickest, then B flute is actually the third thickest, mm-hmm. followed by C flute, which is the second thickest. Then we skip D altogether, because who needs that? <laughs> uh, go to E, yep. and it's 1.6 at fourth thickest, and then F. But uh, that doesn't uh, make any sense. Why do they yeah. shuffle around like that? Omit D, go down to E and F. I what? don't know. This is just crazy. Hmm. 
kind of interesting. Not sure. Maybe there was some sort of manufacturing process. You couldn't quite hit two millimeters without everything going awry. Mm. Um, and so they just abandoned the hope of having a D flute. Yeah, that's true. Maybe there was a D flute at some point. Just, just abandoned it. They just did away with it, and then they were like, well, we don't want to rename all the other ones. So we'll just, just keep them the be. way they were. Yeah, I can see that being a viable uh, situation. Oh, wow, there's a whole slew of things about... There's an entire separate article about corrugated box design. <laughs> we could just go to learn about how many different shapes and uh, practical engineering <laughs> innovations have been made in the design of corrugated boxes. Man, we really chose some uh, very engaging <laughs> and uh, some very factual facts. Ladies and gentlemen, instead of going to the box factory today... Instead, we will be going to the box factory. What? Simpsons reference. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and as it would turn out, that is exactly where we have ended up as far as Wikipedia goes. Well, there's not a whole lot of places to go that aren't box related. Except for New York City. New York City's a pretty boxy place if you think about it. Or we could go to Patents. Patents is a good one. Or we could go to Robert Gare. See what else he did. Robert Gare has a link, huh? He does. He's the guy who invented the actual box back in 1890. So mm. maybe he invented some other good stuff. That's true. Invent one thing, you probably have invented at least one other thing. Hey, it's worth a shot. Let's investigate him. All right. Robert Gare. So, Robert Gare was the... He is known, of course, first and foremost for inventing box as we know it today. Hmm. But he was also a printer and a paper bag maker, so that sort of makes sense. Uh, he kind of had experience in right. the field of uh, corrugated and uh, heavy-grade papers. Mm -hmm. So he invented the paper board box by accident. Interesting. Uh, a metal ruler normally used to crease bags shifted in position and cut the bag. Gare found that by cutting increasing paperboard in one operation, he could make prefabricated <laughs> cartons. And so he ultimately became a uh, businessman who propagated boxes <laughs> as a result of that. One wonders what would have become of the world if he hadn't accidentally cut that piece of paper. It really would be a different place. I wonder if we would still have more crates and barrels laying around as we used to. Uh, but fortunately for us, the ES&A Robinson Corporation uh, developed a relationship with Gare, and they were the people who kind of took his um, took his idea and made it into a national trend. Hmm. They were the people who uh, constructed a paper empire, it says in the article. <laughs> uh, so think Dunder Mifflin of Cardboard more or less office reference <laughs> to clarify well why don't we go and see what happened to the company that made it something okay. ESNA Robinson yeah he uh, apparently still has several buildings in the area have have his name on them from his dealings hmm. with ESNA Robinson so maybe ESNA Robinson's someplace uh, that we would recognize let's see Oh, the British. Aha. Uh -huh. Founded in Bristol in 1844. And has since merged to join with the John Dickinson Stationery Company, hmm. 
They form the Dixon Robinson Group, which is currently one of the world's largest stationery and packaging companies. Yeah. Seems like a lot of companies tend to merge. Well, you know, it's survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. Too big to fail. Too small to be alive still. <laughs> Two go hand in hand. Well, there's a history. Chronicles the company, like, every couple years with events. Yeah, this is the closest thing to... I mean, they really have basically bullet points for each year. This isn't a history article that sort of is enriching or very textual. It's all just a timeline. It's yeah. A timeline. Yeah, it's very much timeline. I see here, um, products with a high public profile included sellotape. And um, sellotape, of course, is the subject of one of the Flight of the Concord songs. Oh, is it? Yes, it is. Is that from the first album or the second album? It's from the show. So it's probably on one of the albums, but I'm not sure exactly which. Okay. Hmm. It is a great song. You know, honestly, I probably have listened to the song at least four or five <laughs> times. I've watched that entire series I'm four sure, or five times. I'm sure you have. Hilarious. But sellotape, you know what I don't know? I don't know a single thing about sellotape. Is that something that would become us, would it behoove us to move towards learning what sellotape is, does? I think that would be a wise idea. Alright, let's see. Whoa, it has its own, like, sign and logo. <laughs> this is a like, wow. jazzed up product here. Okay, so this is packing tape. Right. But Long story it's, short. But the term sellotape is specifically a brand name. And uh, it derived from cellophane, and they basically just changed the C to an S. Solely for the reason of trademarking the name. That is asinine, <laughs> um, but I suppose it's a legitimate business move. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of lots of people doing that. Like, for instance, um, Sci-Fi Channel, they couldn't trademark the name Sci-Fi. Oh, is that So why? they changed it to Sifi. Oh, and then I trademarked no it, and then it was a horrible move because everybody was <laughs> like, "What is this? Why are you doing this?" Oh no, this is awful. Yeah, and it's still something that I don't <laughs> entirely understand. I mean, they were already sci-fi for years. At, yeah, at I that don't know point, why just... they would need to trademark. Oh, so that. it's just like anything you do, you think that you can just sing "Happy Birthday." No, it's owned by somebody. <laughs> it's it's one of those types yeah, of things. Got to be careful. You do. You can't say. Be well, careful. I, I, I can't say what I can't say because it costs money. Right. But there's a specific um, phrase to open a box and match. Oh, yes. That costs a lot of money. Oh. Is that why in boxing movies I I can't recall seeing it? or Right. Okay. It costs very, very, very it much costs money to... <laughs> a lot of money to, to get have it. that phrase said. Wow. Well... But let's let's just say it involves the word rumble. Oh, okay. That's what it. Okay. That's that's one of the words. I mean, the I phrase. sort of inferred, but I didn't want to. I, I, I just wanna... wanted to get it into the minds of the listeners what right. exactly the phrase was, right? Without saying it, right? And that's the main term that would bring it to their minds. There we go. Okay, we're safe. Let yeah. it be known <laughs> that at no point in this podcast do we violate. Or breach any sort of dumb copyright thing. Right. Uh, speaking of the 
sellotape brand though this is no um no off-brand tape this is the equivalent of scotch tape brand wise mm -hmm. uh in a lot of countries in europe uh ironically uh, encompassing the united kingdom so scotland and yeah. uh scotch tape is in fact not well, so scotch after all <laughs> very interesting hmm scotch tape not scotch did you know that scotch tape is made from cellulose derived from wood pulp? I mean, this sounds wood this pulp? sort this sounds sort of you know boring, but at the same time, I'm kind of fascinated by the fact that apparently this stuff dissolves naturally in soil. It's hmm. always been made of probably what they had left over from making things like oh I don't know paper and corrugated cardboard, which is probably what led them to say, hey, hmm. what else can we do with this stuff? And yeah. thus, cellulose, cellophane, that sort of connection wow. got to be made, and there you are. I had no idea. All right. Well, there's not a lot here about this article outside the trademark and uh, the composition. Mm -hmm. So we have various other tapes we can go to. <laughs> uh, oddly, a link to the Oxford English Dictionary, <laughs> which has come up. Uh, it is also a genericized trademark, which we can go to the article of. From mm -hmm. there, I'm sure there are some examples of trademarks we could bounce to. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say let's get off of tape. Yeah, tape. I think we've had enough packaging. Of packaging. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. This is not um, voting well. No. Let's, let's go to the genericized trademark. All right. TM redirects us to generic trademark. Okay. Synonymous with a general oh. class of product or service, so usually against the intentions of the trademark's holder. This is similar to if you would say, like, hey, could you hand me a Kleenex? Right. Kleenex is not the name of the item that you want. It, what you want is a tissue. Precisely. And so a generic trademark is when people use the name of the brand to signify the product itself and there are other lesser known uh ones i mean some of the ones that come to mind immediately are things like kleenex and like jello mm -hmm. but there are also things like zipper mm -hmm. aspirin and heroin <laughs> all of which are actually trademark names that have become genericized wow. who would have known that heroin was trademark <laughs> i actually did not now, now can i we also see... didn't know aspirin i thought that was the name of the drug itself. I I honestly did too, and I thought that was the same story for heroin. But yeah. uh, perhaps it, it probably has a very long and complex uh, yeah. science name, which tells us about all the various couplings of atoms that occur between the <laughs> elements of which it is comprised. But um, nobody has any interest in that. Neither did the populace around the time that they engineered it, and so we got aspirin stuck <laughs> on there. I can go to either of those articles now simply knowing oh, yeah. that I have no clue what they're <laughs> actually called. That's true. I mean, zipper? What do you call a zipper if not a zipper? That one I'm stuck. <laughs> like, yeah. the other one I can extract. That, that is very true. There um, are scientific names for the drugs. That makes sense. Kleenexes are tissues. Jello is gelatin. What's a zipper? Zipper. It would be a pull fastener? Maybe it would be a fastener. Uh, a toothed 
Tooth-tracked. <laughs> Fasc- I'm, I'm fascinated. Hey, did you know that your tooth-toothed fastener is... Oh, my tooth fastener. <laughs> my tooth fastener is down. It's unfastened. The jaws are open. I must clench them. Excuse me. <laughs> However... Uh, yeah, but I do know one thing about the zipper. Hmm. Um, now, I'm going to guess at the percentage, but okay, I'm going to say 90% of all Whoa. zippers come from the same company, and oh, that yeah, company yeah, yeah, yeah. is... Wait. YK... YKK. Z? YKK. YKK. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you look at your zipper, mm-hmm. there is a very, very high probability that it says YKK on it. Mine says gap. Mine says gap. There are exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if one of my zippers has it on. You nope. know, I, I feel I feel like my, my zipper's inferior now. It's mm-hmm. not the name brand zipper. That's true. And this is exactly why we have genericized trademarks, because nobody mm-hmm. wants to have a tissue. They want to have a Kleenex. Yeah. Dang it. Give them a Kleenex. Yeah. Don't give them giant brand gelatin. <laughs> give them jello. Just sounds better. Don't mm-hmm. give them, you know, methamphetamine. Give them heroin. <laughs> well, would you rather go to aspirin or heroin? Because obviously, we don't use heroin. No. But we do use aspirin, I assume you do. Occasionally, whenever I feel the the urge. It would be nice to maybe know a little bit more about that, considering we use it. I think so. I think that opens up a lot of possibilities. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, right. Acetylacetic acid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wow. I have heard that, yes. Acetylacetic, is that how you say it? I think that's... Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Acetylsalicylic. Sorry. Acetylsalicylic acid, which is kind of fun to yeah. say once you get into the rhythm of it. Acetylsalicylic. Yes. And hmm. the uh, chemical structure, which I was being <laughs> highbrow about earlier in an attempt to uh, downplay it, is quite simple, actually, in this case. Yeah, it's very simple. It's just a little little hexagon thing. A couple dots. Yep. A few arms. Mm-hmm couple of double lines which means something about electrons <laughs> i forget what um oh no that means there's other little guys other little elements attached mm. to the outer uh joints of those meeting points basically all right so i mean everybody pretty much knows what aspirin does it just it's basically a pain reliever and anti-inflammatory but since you probably haven't seen the side effects of aspirin listed on a commercial for aspirin <laughs> lately because it's such an accepted drug, let's go ahead and do a little bit of a drug commercial thing for a minute and All let right. you know about what the side effects of aspirin are. <laughs> side effects may include gastrointestinal ulcers, stomach bleeding, and ringing in the ears, especially with higher doses. In children and adolescents, aspirin is not recommended for flu-like symptoms or viral illnesses because of the risk of Ray's syndrome. But that's about it. So for what yeah. you get, that's pretty good. Doesn't even mention you dying in there anywhere. Yeah. Which is better yeah. than a lot of the drugs you see on TV. Yeah. <laughs> most, of the, most of the time when I see a drug being advertised on TV, one of the side effects is death. Yep. And that's not a great <laughs> not a, side effect. That yeah. Is, I mean, that solves my problem, but probably not <laughs> the way that I wanted to have it solved. Yeah. It's definitely not a... It's not a side effect that can be cured by a different thing. Yeah. So... Well, let's see. It is on the WHO model list of essential medicines. Hmm. The most 
important medications needed in a basic health system. Um, and there are, as such, a lot of noted other effects that aspirin seems to have on people. It helps with fever, headaches, swelling and inflammation, heart attacks and strokes. After surgery, apparently there are some allegations that it helps with cancer prevention. Hmm. Is there anything that doesn't help prevent cancer these days? Well, to be fair, let's look at this a little more thoroughly. It says that aspirin reduces the overall risk of getting cancer and dying from cancer, uh, particularly with colorectal, colorectal cancer, or CRC. Hmm. Um, and as to why this is, it's because it helps to reduce inflammation, which helps to reduce cell death, um, hmm. and also it helps with blood circulation. So, okay. it does tend to... Um, just helps with chances. Yeah, I mean, it mitigates a lot of the underlying factors that right. basically start to create a hotbed for cancer to develop mm-hmm. in the first place. Now, I do have an interesting tidbit about cancer that I learned somewhat recently that I had no idea about before. But, um, apparently everybody has the potential cancer inside them. What? But when you get cancer, mm-hmm. it's just the cancer cells activating and causing ruckus in your body. So they're all in there. That yes. They might be, and they'll just kind of start to act up after a bit. Yeah. It's similar to, like, say, The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. where everybody is... Potentially a zombie. Whoa, spoilers. You're not a zombie until Whoa. you die, though. No, yeah. So that that's true. That's right. true. Whoa. So there's actually a very high prevalence of resistance against what aspirin can do hmm. in a uh, human population. Apparently, one study has suggested that women are more likely to be resistant toward the effect of aspirin than men. And another study alleged that 28% of people out of 3,000 were resistant to the drug. Hmm. However, other tests found that of the 31% aspirin-resistant subjects, only five were truly resistant. 5%, that is, not five people. (laughs) Still, the statistic does dwindle quite substantially whenever subjugated to multiple batteries of testing. Right. I'm trying to find here that says, like, the maximum allowable dosage. I see, so are I we see looking this, for like an LD50 or... Because I, I see the overdose part here. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see if it gives a specific milligram level. Okay, it looks like 7,000 to 1,400 milligrams following overdose. Hmm. And 50 to 300 milligrams is a high dose. And then 30 to 100 milligrams is just a standard dose. So there really isn't a huge, huge amount of uh, difference between a larger dose and an acute overdose of aspirin. Yeah. Acute overdose would be a little over twice, like two high doses. Basically. And there are some pills out there that have 500 milligrams of aspirin in them. Mm. Uh there yeah. are for back and body pain especially I know I have some at work mm-hmm. there are uh, 
Tylenol pills I have for back and body pain that are 500 milligrams a mm. pill of aspirin. So one does have to wonder what exactly they're doing when they elect <laughs> to take two of them. Yeah, be careful. You do want to be careful. It does seem as though there is a potential for gastrointestinal bleeding. Not dying so much. Uh, there is a acute overdose mor- mortality rate of 2% of the population. <laughs> so Not terribly high. Right. But if you go too high, there is a more uh, prevalent point at which people start to keel over dead from taking too much aspirin. <laughs> A chronic overdose, which would be, again, in excess of 1,400 milligrams, would have a mortality rate of about 25% of the population. Mm. So you don't want to push your luck. You're having a lot of problems with your pain continuing, your symptoms not going away. Try other medications. Yeah. And if all else fails, of course, see a doctor. Don't just keep on chugging down the aspirin, (laughs) hoping that things will get better. They won't. You may be one in four people. You may be that 25%, so don't risk mm-hmm. it. So you know how aspirin has sort of a, you know, place in culture where we assume that you take it to help you with a heart attack, right? Like, it helps you prevent heart mm-hmm. attacks. It helps you if you're having a heart attack. We didn't know about that for a very long time. Uh, it was only discovered in 1971 by a pharmacologist in Britain by the name of John Robert Vane. Uh, hmm. And in 1984, he became a Knight Bachelor. Uh, in 1982, he won a Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine for finding out that aspirin acts effectively against the effects, hmm. basically in blood platelets, that would normally cause a heart attack to occur. So it's only been about 30 years or so that we've known... Hmm. Aspirin helps out with heart attacks. Well, how long has aspirin been around, though? That's one thing we kind of glazed over. <laughs> we go back and maybe take a look at how we found that this was something that we should be putting in our mouths at all. And also, to return to the original intention of why we came here, how it gained the name aspirin oh, from yeah. uh, acetylsalicylic acid. Uh, here we are. History of aspirin has mm. an article entirely unto itself. Oh, wow. Alright, so it seems as though the acid that aspirin is comprised of came from various plant extracts, Mm -hmm. including, namely, willow bark. So they had known that that helped with headaches and pains and fevers since forever. Right, and then Uh, they discovered later, um, in looks like 1763, they specifically isolated the... um, acid itself and then six years later oh sorry not six years later in almost a hundred years later <laughs> uh they prepared it in france in 1853 which uh was the beginning of them experimenting with the synthesization of aspirin uh here we are here's a familiar name in 1897 chemists working at bayer produced mm. a synthetically altered version of it derived from the species of meadowsweet, which caused less digestive upset than pure salicylic acid. Mm. And hence we came into having acetylsalicylic acid. And that is what Bayer kind of became known for. Mm. They are the company that makes aspirin. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, and 
Ooh. Um, Bayer says that the work was done by Felix Hoffman, but a Jewish chemist named Arthur Eichengrun later claimed he was the lead investigator, and then all of those records were expunged by the Nazis. Really? But the new drug was named aspirin by Bayer after the botanical name for meadowsweet, Spireomeria, derived from acetyl and spirosone? Let's see, how did aspirin come out of that? Well, spireia, so that's your spur. Yeah, I guess so. And then acetyl, which is derivative. So they Hmm. just sort of mushed it together in a not really very eloquent way, (laughs) but they did it. There you go. And then by 1899, they were selling it as aspirin around the world. Hmm. The popularity of it grew tremendously due to uh, things like the the Spanish flu pandemic, which helped their sales a lot. (laughs) People getting massively sick. and When you're a drug company, you kind of want people to get epidemics and pandemics and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, during 1918, aspirin was the hottest drug on the street, man. That was (laughs) the thing to get. It looks like um, the arrival of other types of medications that treat these kinds of symptoms caused a decline in popularity of aspirin. Things like ibuprofen and paracetamol, which is also known as acetaminophen, Ah. which you will see in lots of different medications. That's what we call Tylenol now. Yes. And of course, that kind of started to bottom out and then rebound as soon as our friend from earlier on, John Vane, became uh, aware of the counteractive Mm. effects aspirin has against heart attacks. Well, that covers kind of why we showed up at this article in the first place. (laughs) There's still a link to heroin right here. There is, isn't there? <laughs> we could figure out what the deal with heroin is. That's true. Well, what else is there in this article? Is there anything more interesting? Or uh, I think we covered it. We did. We did cover it pretty well. We came. What we we got what we came for. Yeah. Found out a few other interesting tidbits. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'd I'd be ready to jump over to heroin if you if you would like to. Let's go to something. Let's go a little bit harder. Let's go <laughs> to something a little bit harder here. Do the heroin. We got the gateway drug out of the way. Aspirin. Hmm. All right, let's go with the easy name to pronounce. <laughs> Diamorphine. Oh, it's a morphine derivative. Okay, well, so it's dangerous. a type of morphine. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. As morphine has been known to be highly addictive. Mm-hmm. But probably not quite as addictive as heroin. I would suppose not. Which is probably why hospitals tend to not use heroin and use morphine. And even them with discretion. Yes. So heroin, of course, is as a morphine, a derivative of the poppy seed. The lowly Mm. poppy seed. Elaine, you've tested positive (laughs) for opium. Uh, That is administered intravenously by injection. Hmm. So where did this one get its uh, original name from? Well, let's jump down. Ooh, etymology maybe? Or history? Probably history. Probably. Oh, no. (laughs) Hey, listen to this. Etymology, here it is. Okay. 1895. Mm -hmm. Guess what company sold it as an over-the-counter drug 
under the name heroin. Well, Pfizer wasn't a big deal back then, so I'm going to go ahead and guess Bayer? You would be correct, sir. Uh Aha! The (laughs) very same company that we were just talking about. Huh. Okay, here we go. The name derived from the Greek word heros because of its perceived heroic effects upon Uh the user. So, I guess the term for a female hero, heroine, makes uh-huh. a lot of sense. Really? It does. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never really connected the two. I've always been like, oh, that's a funny coincidence that a heroine is the same word as heroin. But they literally meant for that to happen. Yeah, they, they stuff that, that, that is out exactly what they meant. Oh, my word. And it they developed it. They developed it <laughs> as a cop suppressant for kids. <laughs> I can't of believe they you, Bear. Did. Bear, what's wrong <laughs> with you? Oh my goodness, cough suppressant. Bayer advertised it as a non-addictive morphine substitute. They introduced heroin as a less (laughs) addictive morphine. Let that sink in for a minute. Oh man. How did anything like this ever happen? Well, I mean, it had to be be very, very evident pretty much immediately (laughs) that... Yeah, I, I feel like you couldn't... There's no way you can take heroin... No. And then think, hey, this drug is a totally normal, perfectly fine drug to yeah, I mean, treat the my cough. After effects <laughs> are clearly there. I don't... Yeah, I mean, uh, the second you start hallucinating and feeling a little funny, I, I think that would be your first tip-off that you might not want to, you know, risk these side effects. But at that point, of course, you've already had the heroin... And then you're not just a little addicted, you're super addicted because of heroin yeah. reasons. <laughs> so, you end up uh, succumbing to exactly what Bear was, I'm guessing, hoping you would mm. succumb to. And uh, go out and buy a whole lot more heroin. Yep. So I guess, you know, if I was a drug addict, mm. I think if I got it into a time machine, I would probably go back to the year 1900 or so and buy all the legal heroin that I could get. If you were a drug addict. If I was. If you were. Yes. Right. So, what we're saying here is that as soon as time travel is invented we have a ludicrous profit-making scheme mm-hmm. that we have to get our foot in the door on mm. as soon as time travel is invented because once it is, you know that it's not going to be as regulated as it needs to be mm-hmm. at first. And then over time, they're going to gradually legislate it more. But that'll mm-hmm. that'll be much harder once time travel is invented. Right. People will keep going back and sabotaging the <laughs> uh, regulation-making process and preventing it from being, you know, as closed down as it is. So it'll, it, that'll be interesting. But it's something True. to keep make a note, make a note for. Yeah. Though there are, to clarify, no indications that time travel is even possible at this time. <laughs> yes. Disclaimer. Disclaimer, we are not reading anything on Wikipedia saying that, factually speaking, time travel is a thing. (laughs) Well, heroin has quite the history by way of the opium plant. Looks like it's been being used in China for its effects since the... Wow, since as early as 3400 BC. BC! Whoa, that is uh, a long time ago. That is a very long time ago. I mean, aspirin had origins as early as 400 BC, but 3400? 
Wow. That is a... That's, that's you know, that's... I mean, that's Chinese <laughs> culture for you. It, 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 yeah. It's been advanced for a very long time. Very long that's time. That's true. They've always kind of been up on up on their game. Yeah. Yeah, as far as medicines especially go, mm-hmm. they were very into things like acupuncture and mm-hmm. uh, bloodletting and extracts of plants mm-hmm. very early on compared to a lot of other cultures. Yeah. And then they, they also got to jump on fireworks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They had some... I mean, I, I don't know how they f- stumbled into all those things, <laughs> but more power to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do have a billion people. They do. They had a lot of people. But they probably <laughs> had a lot of people because they found all these things that helped them feel That's true. good and decent and ultimately well enough to fight off a lot of viruses mm-hmm. that the rest of the world would have fallen prey to. Ooh, there is an entire list of people who have, famous people, I should say, who have overdosed mm. and died as a result of heroin. We have people like Sid Vicious, Janis Joplin, uh, River Phoenix. I did not know that River Phoenix died of an overdose. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was... Hmm. We can check him out and see what his story is going into the uh, into his death. True. There is a link there. Hillel Slovak. Why did I recognize that name? He's another guy who died of a heroin overdose. Hmm. What's his What's his story? Oh, that's right. He was the guy who was originally in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is an interesting thing here. Hmm. Um, Bayer lost some of the trademark rights to heroin. What? In the Treaty of Versailles. Huh? In World, after World War One. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. Is Bayer German? Yes, it is. They're very German. They are German. They're so German that they expunged the contributions of a Jewish doctor towards, what was it, aspirin? And mm-hmm. now they are <laughs> surrendering <laughs> rights in the Treaty of Versailles. Yep. This is the Treaty of Versailles following World War One, right. mind you, not the one after World War Two. Hmm. That is very strange. <laughs> well, should we look into the Bayer Company, or should we look into the Treaty of Versailles? Some of the more mm. famous victims of heroin overdoses, perhaps? Or is there something else that's piquing your interest right now? Mm. Oh, there's an article for Cold Turkey. Dude, there's an article for Cold Turkey. Is there? There is. There's also an article for cramps or for, <laughs> for sweating, anxiety. Ooh, ooh, prepism, prepism. We can go to the article for sneezing. Article for sneezing right here. Find out things like how fast a sneeze comes out <laughs> your nose. Ooh, yawning. Yawning is a fascinating topic. Don't know why you yawn. Now, how is that part of this article? Oh, yeah, got me. Ah. How is what? How is yawning a part of this article? Oh, 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 oh. It's under withdrawal. Withdrawal symptoms from heroin may include sweating, malaise, anxiety, depression, prapism, extra sensitivity of the genitals, general feeling of heaviness, excessive yawning or sneezing, hmm. tears... Renoria, sleep difficulties, cold sweats, chills, severe muscle and bone aches, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, cramps, watery eyes, you know, the basic effects that half of the drugs on the market today give you, (laughs) regardless. Right. Well, I mean, I'd be up for checking out cold turkey. I'm quitting cold turkey. I mean, I hope that it's the food product, but I know it's probably not going to be. It's not going to be deli. It's not going to be deli. There is a disambiguation. Oh boy. So we could perhaps we check are that out. being called to 
cold turkey. Okay. Well, cold turkey is exactly what we think it is. So that's true. Now that we've come here, we may as well disambiguate. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, cold <laughs> turkey is what you think it is. It's what we think it is. Yep. It's the actions of a person who abruptly gives up a habit or mm -hmm. addiction rather than gradually easing the process. So, that being said, let's disambiguate. Here we go. There's not a very big Whoa. disambiguation. Interesting. Yes. It's a very interestingly organized disambiguation. I've never seen it organized like an article before. That is unusual. Usually it's just a list. <laughs> but this has subheadings and sub-subheadings. And all of that for about five or six things mm. here. Not including... Oh, no, it does include the withdrawal. Yeah, okay. yeah. Hmm. Ooh, there's an episode of Bump in the Night called Cold <laughs> Turkey. Remember Bump in the Night? Classic yeah. claymation cartoon from back when we were kids. Mm -hmm. Early 90s, mid-90s. It was on ABC, I believe. That'd be a fun. That'd be a fun little trip down nostalgia lane there. Yeah. I'm guessing that'll take us to something interesting. I mean, we could also go to turkey bird at low temperature, <laughs> but but that's not a cold turkey. No. Or is it? Well, it would be. I guess that would a be. bird at a low temperature. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be dead. It can just be outside right now <laughs> in winter in the Northeast and uh, end up being a cold turkey. <laughs> doesn't say how it has to be cold. It can be. It can be. It can be fresh. Hmm. I think we, we should start a Wikipedia article about cold turkey, like specifically about cold birds. Birds that are not feeling very warm right now. Yes. Or perhaps But the also include, meat. you know, discussion about preparing turkeys in cold, cold conditions. Yes. Cold ways to prepare turkeys. Yes. Cold as in literally cold or cold as in like... Like, oh, like that's cold. literally cold. Like, mm. like maybe you cook the turkey and then you put it in the freezer or refrigerator, let it get, let it cool down, and then you serve it cold to people. Serving people cold turkey. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I've eaten cold turkey before. I have too. I can't I like say it. I haven't, especially like after Thanksgiving. It. Yeah, and I mean, sandwich meats. But what could we really say in an article like that? If we were going to start an article about cold turkey... We've seen articles about a high school that literally just says this high school is located in this town. You know, you're right. <laughs> so we could really just create a stub to our yeah, liking. Okay, we, we could stub right, it. We could do that. But, I don't, but we, we can't do that on the podcast. No, no, no. no. Okay, let's, right. let's, let's save that we for another stick time. To, we want to stick to Wikipedia as it exists in the yeah, moment. In right. the moment. We can't, we can't affect the... No, that's cheating. Yeah. Can't affect the outcome that much. Mm -hmm. All right. So, bump in the night? Eh? Yeah, bump in the night. All right, cool. Let's go. Oh, it's a list of bump in the night episodes. Hmm. Aha. Though it is a very impressive one because it gets right to the point. <laughs> it quite literally tells me what is going on in each episode in about one line. Yeah. Very concise. This is also a very strange list of episodes article. Yeah. Usually I've, look, I've looked at many lists of episodes mm -hmm. articles in my time. And this one is definitely the outlier of all of them. Yeah, in usually, format. usually you see them exist in kind of a table. 
almost, mm -hmm. where there's sort of a color coding thing going on. It'll have the number of the episode off to the left yeah. column, a description of the episode in the middle column, and then perhaps mm -hmm. off to the right, voice credits, guest stars, right. that sort of thing. Links this, however, to the seasons. Yeah. But this is just a bulleted list. Yeah. And a very sort of thrown-together one at that, though, I mean, mm -hmm. for something as sort of obscure as Bump in the Night has to be at this point. Yeah, I guess so. You kind of expect it, though I, I do have to say it's still really unique. Well, here we go. I found the Cold Turkey episode. Okay. A frozen turkey comes to life and escapes from the freezer. Sounds so pretty interesting. <laughs> there's your cold turkey there. Well... Not much in the way of links, though, unfortunately. One of the things that jumps out at me is the karaoke cafe segments that they had in the middle of the two <laughs> uh, halves of the story. Mm -hmm. There's one called I'm Bigger Than You, which is sung in a style similar to that of Iron Man by Black Sabbath, <laughs> to which there are links. Mm. So we can follow those down to the next thing. True. There's also options for things like Alice Cooper because they, I think they, oh no, look, they literally do a cover of Alice Cooper's <laughs> Schools Out. That's appropriate enough. There is a strange link at the bottom here lists of American animated television series episodes. What is that supposed to mean? That seems like a very broad list. That I, couldn't be a very concise list at no, all. No, I don't think so. It sounds like a very, very long list. Well, that sounds. I want to. I want to see what it looks like. I want to go mm. there. Well, let's let's go on over. Oh boy! Mm. So this is a list of lists. Oof. <laughs> there are tons. <laughs> this is the list of lists. It lists shows, and for some shows, it lists individual seasons. Now, one thing that's interesting about this is that there is a subcategory called subcategories. And then a subcategory called Pages in Category, list of American animated television series episodes. The fun part about the subcategories subcategory is that there are only three <laughs> things. One of which is the list of DC Comics animated television series. List of, and then the other, another one is the list of Marvel Comics animated television series, which makes sense. There's a lot of franchises there. Mm -hmm. That's pretty busy. But then one is just the TV show Arthur. <laughs> it's just the Aardvark Arthur. Which could easily have been listed with the... Rest I, of the TV shows I stand corrected. In the it other is category. listed with all the other ones. Why is Arthur so darn special? Arthur is in both places. Arthur has both his own subcategory as well as a list of episodes. <laughs> that seems a little unnecessary. Very much. It also seems unnecessary to have things like Adventure Time Season 1, Adventure Time Season 2, Adventure mm -hmm. Time Season 3, Ad Nauseum. And in addition and then, to list of Adventure Time episodes. Like, why? Why is, why is this not... Nobody has taken any care with this article. I mean, mm. maybe this is a, supposed to be an educational podcast, but this in this case, I'm just going to have to watch a bunch of criticisms at this yeah. particular list. This, this is, is so very, poorly made. Very poorly made. I'm half expecting to go to the category of L and then find everything that says list in all the previous categories <laughs> residing there. That would not surprise me. Well, we can go to literally any animated show from here twice over, it would seem. 
So that's good news. Mm. We do have our choice of literally anything. Oh mm. man, I found one I like right now. Yeah. Reboot. Remember oh, reboot? reboot. I Reboot's do remember something. Reboot. Definitely one of the staple shows that I watched as a kid. Though, hold on. We're on a list of animated television series episodes, are we not? Correct. Why is there an entry for list of reading Rainbow episodes? Pretty sure LeVar Burton <laughs> is a real dude. Yes, he is. That's, that's like including Mary Poppins in an animated a list of animated movies that's yeah yeah Which i mean it, I guess it has animation sequences right but partially it's not partially animated, animated sequences mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. but it's not itself an animated movie so i guess it sort of counts and if that's the case then man mm. what series haven't had animated like mm. spin-off episodes or segments yeah there's been quite I mean, a few like malcolm in the middle community yeah. They both did it. Home Improvement. Mm-hmm. Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. They spun into real life for one episode or two, so they're technically... Live action. Yeah. That's the uh, the technical term for for real life in the, uh, in the cinema scope. All right. So, from here, and this is probably going to be one of the last things we get to. Probably, yes. Uh, so, we should choose wisely. Where should we go? Now, if this is going to be the last thing we do, I mean... We don't really have a choice other than a list. <laughs> that is true. Okay, so we gotta make two choices really quick, I would think. Unless we go back to Arthur, because Arthur is its own thing. That has somehow broken free from this list of lists. And it's just its own thing now. Well, why don't we go to... Oh, just a quick shout-out. List of PJ's episodes. Remember that show? List Eddie Murphy's The PJs. Oh, yeah. Where he was a super at a building called, he was in the projects, Mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. where the initials, the PJs, comes from. That was a fantastic show. Yeah, I do remember that. Wow, that's a blast from the past. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I, I say we go to Reboot. All right. And then we'll find an article to end on in there. Oh, looks like we got a a few. They really go out of their way in this list. It's yeah. a very far cry from the previous list where yeah. there was absolutely no care given. In this one, they don't just tell you the name of the episode, number of the episode, and when it aired. And they don't just tell you the description. They also give you a cultural references section, just in case you <laughs> didn't get all of their inside jokes that they really, really wanted you to get. You can mm-hmm. now look at this. For example, did you know that in episode 2 of Reboot, when Bob asks Enzo what his client's name is, Enzo lies and says John Luke, because he appeared earlier in the episode wearing an altered version of the Starfleet uniform from Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> like, there you go, you got the joke now. Here, here it is. Or things like uh, the number 42 being clearly visible on the back of a deck surface, which is a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Wow! They also include the air dates for both Canada and the U.S. Because apparently it parses off after a little while. Mm-hmm. Initially, it, we're, we're airing things right alongside them, and then we just sort of wander off and do our own thing. Well, we have a lot of options to choose from. Most of them are films or celebrities. They are, because of all of the cultural references <laughs> they have thrown at us. Which isn't bad. I, I mean, I welcome mm-hmm. this. This is kind of cool. 
it's one of those things where you're not going to be left out of the joke. Yeah. Somebody really cares about this show, and they care <laughs> about you knowing exactly how witty the writers of this show are and how witty you aren't. I would say somebody cares about this show more than anybody cares about any other show on that Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because all the lists that I've seen are not this in-depth or nicely laid out. They don't insult your intelligence by explaining absolutely every detail in every episode. Mm-hmm. But they don't uh, assume you know too much by way of supplementing all of the jokes and what they might be referencing mm-hmm. to you. That's uh, that's some dedication right there. And man, does the the cultural references section by the time you hit season three <laughs> is literally yeah. the that- majority <laughs> of the description for each episode. Yeah. No, we really haven't talked about what the show reboot actually is. That is so- true. So maybe it's just appropriate for us to end <laughs> briefly describing what reboot actually is. Why it's significant. Yeah. Let's let's go to the reboot main article. Okay. About reboot. I'm there. We can we can talk about that. Um, it was one of the first um, 3D animated shows, I believe. Yeah, one of the first CGI animated yeah. action adventure shows. Mm-hmm. One of the first CGI cartoons in memory for me. I think yeah, it for sure. uh, either predated Toy Story by a little bit or was um, released was, in the same year. Yeah, I, I believe it was very, very close in time period to that. Yeah, Toy Story was released in 1995 and mm. Reboot started up in 1994. So Reboot actually beat Pixar to the chase there yeah. uh, as far as rele- releasing a lot of uh, animation grade CGI. And their their animation tests began in 1990. So they made a lot of headway because mm-hmm. I you know that the Pixar engine had been in the works for quite some time. It was in the late 80s when they first started making the little mm-hmm. lamp guy hopping around films. But and that, that's even when they started working on this show, actually. Wow. Because they were creating the programs uh, needed to create the 3D look. So they had the idea for the show. Back in the 80s. And then they had to come up with the technology to actually make the show. That's crazy. I mean, you understand that the show has a lot of forethought put into it mm-hmm. whenever you watch it. Uh, there is a lot of interconnectivity that is very rewarding for a show that's aimed primarily <laughs> at kids. Yeah. But, man, I did not know that. That's that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Somebody really does love this show. Like, they have loved it for forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I guess we should say exactly what the show is. Mm-hmm. But it's basically similar to Tron in that it's all set inside of a computer. The people who live inside yeah, the computer live right. in a village called Mainframe. Mm-hmm. There are things that the user directly does to them and what they have to go through as a result oftentimes results in the plot of the episodes. Right. There are various virus characters. Mm. Uh, there are games that descend upon the town of Mainframe much <laughs> in the same way a thunderstorm would. So, which, I, I mean, they're all very clever metaphors for how technology works, how computers mm. work. They weren't just trying to make a show that quickly kind of glazed over the topics of technology. But they wanted kids to learn from this show, too. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is a little disappointing. 
Starts out hopeful, mm-hmm. ends disappointingly. Yeah. In 2008, they announced a trilogy of reboot films coming to theaters. Woo. 2011, trilogy is no longer being worked on. Well, they have a history of that. There's an entire uh, thing about their revival mm. as a series, and it's just pretty hard uh, for them to get that done, it seems. There's several dates that jump out here. Back in 2006, they tried. 2007, 2008, mm. 2012. Wow, <laughs> very recently. They, uh, even as... Or as recently as 2013, they have announced mm. yet again another intention <laughs> of releasing another reboot, uh, presumably rebooted reboot <laughs> TV series. I don't understand what would be so difficult in getting this made. Remember Canadian TV ratings from oh, the Degrassi yes. issue? Canadian. <laughs> uh, Canadian television... As yeah. we have been over before, doesn't really pull in the same kind of numbers that mm. it, uh, American television does, and we think that might skew the demographic a little bit whenever they bring That's it across true. the Great Lakes to uh, our fine country. And it seems as though Canadian shows don't typically find as much success here. And it could also be that um, CGI is so commonplace these days. Right. There's almost no shows that are in traditional 2D animation anymore. Mm-hmm. So their novelty has worn off. It's now gone. So it wouldn't really be like a groundbreaking show or anything as awesome as it would be to see the show come back. They kind of have lost their steam a little bit. Right. And it's exactly the kind of thing you wouldn't think would have happened initially because at at first developing all these programs and all these resources just to animate the show (laughs) that was super expensive you had to call a lot of resources and a lot of processing power towards that at a time when processing power was not easy to come by (laughs) the problem is is that now that it's easy to come by everybody's using it and there's nothing unique about it anymore so uh that being said though I, I kind of wish that Reboot would come back. It was a fascinating show, a uh, really mm-hmm. cool plot that uh, is admittedly a little bit cheesy, but it's also pretty fun. <laughs> so, oh yeah, uh, I would I would I would love to see it come back if it, mm-hmm. if it ever does. That would be something I would watch well, at least entertain it for a little bit. If the makers of Reboot are listening to this podcast by any chance, <laughs> well, you never know. Um, Please make the series happen again. Indeed. I second that opinion. And I guess I guess that'll do it for this episode then. That should be a wrap, yeah. Yeah. So Menichi Isho to reboot. It's a pretty good uh nice circular from computers yeah. to other computers type yeah. situation. Not too bad. Alright. So go ahead and um, visit facebook.com slash twc podcast and also take us check us out on itunes and you know like us rate us follow us whatever you want to do and you can also get our new episodes on our website twc.erictoribio.com and you should also check out the other podcasts that we have on the eric toribio podcast network uh enter the critic and ninjas versus podcast Enter the Critic is Movie Reviews, Ninjas vs. Podcast, Fits Things Against Each Other, Figures Out a Winner. 
Um, they're both a lot of fun. And I'd also like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song. And I would like to thank Mississippi John Hurt for our outro song. Lastly, our totally true fact for this episode is that sunglasses were first developed in China as a means to look at the original fireworks they created. So thank you again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Did you get that letter or you take me back? I'll treat you better. Nobody's business but mine. Ain't nobody's doggone business how my baby treat me. Nobody's business but my own. Nobody's dirty business how my baby treat me. Nobody's business but my own. This morning gonna wake up crazy, gonna grab my gun, gonna kill my baby. Nobody's business but mine. Ain't nobody's doggone business how my baby treat me. Nobody's business but my own. Nobody's dirty business how my baby treat me. Nobody's business but my own. Nice.